HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Dan Glickberg from Fairway Market with another useful Thanksgiving tip. If you're buying your turkey early, make sure you store it on the bottom shelf in the back of your fridge. That'll keep it cool enough until the big day. For more Thanksgiving tips, log on to fairwaymarket.com. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Aaliyah Likong. How's it going? Um, we actually first met at the New Brooklyn Cookbook, uh, one, one, of, one of the events, and you had presented right. to me, uh, you know, your, your heritage, your, your blend, <laughs> um, be it spice or be it ethnicity, be it... That's a broad term. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... The, your cooking is so complex because your your background is also very uh, complex. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, I guess. Uh, you know, my mom is Indo-Pakistani, uh, and my father is from Tanzania, from East Africa. Yeah. I don't know if I know anybody else from Tanzania. So I'm yeah. I'm check that off. The, <laughs> I have to meet your father, and then I'll check that off the list. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that's a, I mean, that's a special place. And the food, it's amazing how food sometimes doesn't travel yeah and uh you know to get that food you have to go to people's homes you have to go to small communities but it's really hard to find so yeah so i mean there aren't commercial spaces that are restaurants per se serving that type of food no i mean every now and then you'll hear about potentially a kenyan restaurant somewhere um but i i haven't found it yeah so growing up were there specific national dishes that you ate as a family or were you Americanized? <laughs> you were born here, right? <laughs> I was born here. I was born here uh, and I grew up in Florida. And I would say that it's, it actually speaks to my food. It was both. You yeah. know, there were days that it was burgers and, and pizza. And then there were days that were 
Barazi and Mandazi, which are East African dishes. So yeah. What are Barazi and Mandazi? Barazi are, they're amazing is what they are, but Barazi <laughs> are pigeon peas that are stewed in coconut with chilies and cilantro. Um, and, and Mandazi are like coconut donuts. And they're hollow, and you kind of crack them open and use them to scoop up the pigeon peas, and you eat them together. And they're like savory and oh, wow. sweet. It's it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to your web series, Exotic Table, um, mm-hmm. because I was going through some of the videos and recipes you had on there. And yeah. when will that recipe appear? Uh, oh, I that's not going to. I haven't done that in video form yeah. yet, but maybe I should at yeah. this point. Um, but that's I have Mandazi up there, but uh, I, I'll put I'll put the Barazi up there next. Please do, yeah. yeah. Because what is Mandazi without Barazi? Exactly. Well, it's a <laughs> it's a coconut donut. I, I powder yeah. sugar on top, which is not the traditional yeah. way. But but that's what I like your non traditional twists on things, and we'll get to you know uh, explore a couple more of those in a little bit. But um, Florida, all I know is oranges. I mean, <laughs> is there a regional cuisine of Florida? You get a good fish on the East Coast and in the Gulf. Yeah, you do. I mean, snapper. Gulf snapper is pretty amazing. Um, and then there are things like gator <laughs> and, and great barbecue. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Really great barbecue in Florida. Yeah, I just like how nonchalantly Floridians say, oh, yeah, there's gator. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> how can you forget about that one? Exactly. Protein? I mean, Florida gator, you know, it's yeah. an obvious one. Did you grow up eating gator? No. I mean, there were certain restaurants that served it. If you went to the, you know, the beach towns and whatnot, they had it. But it wasn't, you know, on your local. Yeah. Local, Do you local enjoy menu. gator? It's it's not bad. It, yeah. it kind of has, you know, of course, a chicken-like quality. Uh, and a it doesn't tough, everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's not it's not on my the top of my list. Maybe. Yeah. So living in Florida, um, eating this kind of mudded, mudded worldly food, um, you didn't necessarily go into food. No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, and it's interesting because it's such a strong part of my childhood that it makes so much sense now. I mean, that's what brings families together. Yeah. It's all the traditions. It's it's pretty much like you didn't miss dinner. That was when the whole family sat down. And for like most people, like a lot of people, I should say, not most people. But, um, you know, but I think uh, my mom, she's a surgeon. My dad's in business. I kind of went the traditional route went to college and and worked afterwards and it wasn't until later you know um when I was I was cooking during that whole time and I cooked growing up and that sort of thing but it was really you know once I got into my 20s that I was cooking kind of around the clock obsessively thinking about it at work designing dishes coming home and cooking until (laughs) the wee hours I I hope you weren't doing surgery um no (laughs) no no no, no. you went more into business business Yeah. yeah yeah I worked in finance for a number of years and, um, you know, and I think you, you always kind of look at, uh, people look at their life and there's that, what if I could or alternative life and, you know, if only I could do that. And then there are all these trade-offs that you have to face to do it. So it might take a little longer, but I think, you know, with maturity, you kind of figure out what it is you want to do. And that's what it was for me at least. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, through your more corporate job, did you get to travel? I did. And I, I, I traveled a lot for work, which was really nice. And I, I mean, I think in the last 10 plus years, I've gone to about 35 different countries or so. Um, I traveled growing up a lot too. That was a big part of, you know, my parents were big travelers. So it just kind of bled into adulthood. And, uh, um, but that was a great part of my job is being able to see different countries and, and eat yeah. everywhere. <laughs> so was it with intention that you went to certain countries for their cuisine, for their 
culture. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Do I you mean, remember your first food-based destination? My first food-based destination? Um, Morocco. Yeah. I think Morocco was probably my first food-based destination, where that was such a big part of what I wanted to get out of that trip. Yeah. Um, I mean, did you study up? I, I, I love Paula Wolfert. And, yeah. You know, uh, amazing. I know Morocco through her, have never been, but did you read her books prior to going or did you just go there in the blind to experience what I had? No, I mean, I, I do do a little bit of research, but I think ultimately once you get into a country, if you can find yourself lucky enough to be in people's homes and see what they do there, it's just a different, it's such a different perspective than anything anyone writes on. And, and Paula does. I mean, I've seen Paula has spreads in magazines where she's she is doing that. So yeah. you, you get to see that, which is wonderful. Uh, for a place like Morocco, but there's so many places that don't have that. Um, but yeah, she, I think studying up a little bit, but more, more of it is about the discovery. I think that's the wonderful part of it. Yeah. And what did you discover in Morocco? Oh, I mean, uh, I think it was the whole experience of eating. I mean, some of the food was there, but for example, these, the way that houses are decorated, they have a very plain facade outside and then you walk through the door and it's this warm, welcoming crazy environment with um you know amazing carpets and and furniture and you're sitting down with families and um i think it was the whole experiential quality to eating that uh that really kind of got me so restaurants aren't necessarily your thing you'd rather eat in someone's home while traveling oh yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's always wonderful to go to restaurants and it's always wonderful to see what chefs are doing abroad but i want to know what people eat in their home yeah that's my that's my fascination so then why uh, did you go to the french culinary institute <laughs> well i think ultimately um you know my first thought was okay i love to cook but i know nothing about yeah. the technique of cooking you know I, I cooked profusely from cookbooks just on my own just watching or watching tv and and cooking and uh, growing up and um you know m- my initial reaction, my gut reaction when I wanted to cook was I, I got to learn really the basics. And, and French technique to me is sort of the mother um, to learn from. So that was the goal with French Culinary Institute. And, um, and I think it was a great experience. It really kind of allows you to adapt to adapt cuisines to your style of cooking and, and technique and apply technique in ways that are it's sort of different than what they do there. Yeah. And tremendous list of restaurants that you then worked at afterwards yeah um from what per se jean george devi elitaria um an ethiopian restaurant named bati yeah where's where that that's on fulton street in fort green oh really i don't know if i've ever been there oh it's yeah. really good really really good yeah um you know the, the woman hibis she and i actually became really good friends and she travels to ethiopia all the time and um a lot of her ingredients are from there tef which is like the grain that um they make injera from yeah. injera's that I love injera. yeah the yeah. spongy flatbread um you know she goes and she gets it from there and and all her mitmita and the spices are all from there as well so um it was really incredible learning from her and and she had to she was really generous i mean she had to translate cuz the cooks didn't speak English and I was just in there trying to learn. And, yeah. uh, so it was, it was a, it was an interesting experience But from that list of restaurants that really stuck out. Um, because I saw with intention you wanting to go learn a different culture and cuisine, um, going to per se, Jean George, why were you in those kitchens? Was it for foundation? Yeah, absolutely. That was sort of continuity with those were the first places. Well, I mean, somewhat one per se was a little bit later, but right after culinary school, which was, you know, an extension of technique and seeing 
the way, you know, the elevated cuisine. I mean, you look at Jean George, you look at Per Se, and, and those meals are extraordinary. Um, and so to have those as foundations was a, was a pretty incredible experience for me. Um, but yeah, it was precisely that. It was just learning the technique, you know, seeing the precision and, and developing a discipline too. I mean, Per Se was, it was probably the toughest experience yeah. I've had in a kitchen and, and it was the most disciplined um, which I literally carry with me to today in terms of my cooking. Yeah, even at home. Even at, <laughs> my friends will tell you. Even, I make my friends cook. Uh oh. <laughs> you have a nobody escapes. System, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a performer. So if I'm having, I love entertaining. I love having people over. And when my friends come over, I put them all in the kitchen, and uh, you know, a little little cut from the mandolin. You got to keep going. You got to <laughs> you got to roll with the punches in the yeah. kitchen. We have, Give your little cauterizing gun. Exactly. Just, just put your finger on the flat top, close that wound. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Basically. But then it's awesome, uh, Devi, which is right. Suvir Saran. Yeah, Suvir Saran and Hemant Matur. Yeah, and then. Um, Elataria, which was Akhtar Nawab, yeah. two distinctly different Indian chefs. Yes. Uh, I mean, I love Akhtar's food right now. La Esquina, right. I mean, Kentucky boy, <laughs> making the best Mexican in New York. And I then Suvir, you know, he, he's a legend. In the, the Absolutely. I think it was wonderful to see um, that's just a complete divergent viewpoint. And it's a lot about, it's a lot of what I study in my cooking. It's like you have Suvir from India um, with very definite, with a very de- definite sense of tradition. And then you have Akhtar, who is cooking from his perspective. Um, you know, at least at El Atari, that was very much his perspective. And I think it was, I mean, it was incredible. His, his food, he's one of the, my, the, my favorite, one of my favorite people that I worked for because, you know, he was a very disciplined, you know, trained at craft, did that whole thing. And he brought in his own sensibility to the food in a way that I thought was pretty genius. Yeah. No, I think he's both intelligent and ingenuitive. Exactly. Um, and this word keeps on coming up, blend. And I really yeah. think that, um, speaking of you and your cuisine, or your ideals for food, uh, blend is a very important term because it's not just a blend of um, you know your heritage, um, but also people you've met in places you've traveled. Yeah. That, uh, I'm trying to eliminate the idea of you know mudded or fusion um, right. in cuisine because it really is experiential of somebody else's journey. And I think that's um, you know I like blend is an excellent word. I also call it culturally layered. You know I grew up in Florida, American girl. You know eating the pizza, playing volleyball coming home and eating Indian food, African food, um, all of that just plays into who you are ultimately. And I think particularly the way demographics are, demographics are going in the States, I mean, you see that more often than not now, that people have very different perspectives and they're coming together. My husband's West Indian. Yeah, I was about to say your household. Is- yeah, I mean, my household is case in point. My husband's West Indian um, from Trinidad. His family's from Trinidad. And his grandfather's Hong Kong Chinese. <laughs> so that's why my last name is Lee Kong. Yeah. And uh, I think that just speaks to it. You know, what, what do you cook for your children? What, what's the next generation eat? And I think uh, that's kind of where I'm going. Yeah. I was about to say, if you ever open up a restaurant, it would be like the multicultural buffet. Of, <laughs> I, I don't even know. Steam table? Yeah. Well, no, steam table. <laughs> but just in my head, I mean, it, it services that many different uh, dishes and that many different cultures. Yeah. And I, mean, I think... I think it's also really interesting because there's so many crossover points and touch points. I mean, my husband's cuisine, there are so many similarities with food that I grew up or, you know, even in my travels, you know, in Morocco, you see the Sephardic traditions that are coming, uh, you know, from uh, the Jewish heritage and, and, and just seeing all of those 
touch points just makes everything much more relatable, I think. Yeah. I mean, ingredients, West Indy ingredients like sorrel, mm-hmm. um, callaloo. Yeah. Uh, you can define them via flavor profiles of something here. Um, so, I mean, taste is... Yeah, uh, it's totally yeah. A sorrel mojito is delicious. Let yeah. me tell you. <laughs> you know, you can do you can do whatever whatever you want with it. I think um, that's kind of what's great, and that's what's great. Learning technique is sort of the ability to say you don't have to look at an ingredient in its traditional form. You can take it and make it whatever it is you want. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break and come right back with Aaliyah Lee Kong <laughs> on the food scene at HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Terkel, here with Aaliyah LeCong of Exotic Table and so much more. We're just talking about how her worlds kind of collide when it comes to cuisine, uh, a background that is Indo-Pakistani, Tanzanian, is that correct? Yeah, that Z kind of (laughs) slips me up a little bit. Husband's West Indian from Trinidad and also uh, has heritage from Hong Kong. it's a lot of different flavors yeah, brought to the it, table. It really is when you say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> but you also travel a lot. Um, I do. Most recently in Turkey, Goa, which you just told me was in South India. Yep. Um, I did not know that, so I didn't want to play it off like, uh, you know, I had that inherent knowledge. But um, where else have you been recently? Uh, I was also in South Africa yeah. a number of years ago. And it's, it's interesting because you had asked me earlier about you know, do I do any diligence really before I go to a place? And I think what I would say, it's more about what I look for in a place. And it's usually sort of a cross section of cultures. So South Africa has Indian, Malay, you have the indigenous Africans, you have Dutch traditions that are really strong there. And that's that mix that I find fascinating in a place. Um, Turkey as well, you know, you have, as I was mentioning before, the Sephardic traditions, you have, you have every religious sect living in (laughs) a very small area. Um, And Goa, which was actually a Portuguese colony in India. So it's outside the purview of British rule. And so that has a whole, I mean, you know, people don't even know Vindaloo is actually from Vina Dalos, which is a Portuguese dish. And, you know, Vindaloo is where Goa comes from Goa. So that was the whole. Well, I mean, with, you know, 
people traveling around the world exploring new lands and nations um they also brought their yeah foods and spices and yeah no and it's um you know i i think i think it's always interesting just to look at the way like for example with goa and portuguese and portuguese culture you know you have different foods you have the same dish that's interpreted differently in each of its colonies. So Piri Piri in Mozambique versus Piri Piri in Goa or even in Brazil are such different sort of iterations of yeah. itself. And what is Piri Piri? Piri Piri is actually the chili itself. It's a type of chili. Um, and the dish is sort of a really kind of fiery, hot, tomato-based sauce that you have with shrimp. A lot of times with seafood, but you can do it with chicken too. So then what are its different iterations in Mozambique and... Um, I think it can be, for example, piri-piri in Goa can have cloves and cinnamon. It'll have different spices in it. Um, Mozambican is more true to the original and has, um, vinegar as well in it. I think, I think the Goan tradition does have vinegar as well. Yeah. Um, but there's just little iterations and it's also, you know, they may not actually be using the piri-piri chilies anymore. They might be using, which were brought by the Portuguese, but they may be using whatever chilies are indigenous to the area now. But see, uh, this is this is my kitchen brain working, which um, we'll talk about. Your <laughs> position at uh, Janoon in a little bit is yeah. I hear cloves and I, oh, I go warming spices. And then, yeah. you know, you hear vinegar and you go, oh, you know, acidity. Right. But I mean, everything falls underneath those kind of, you know, more technical terms or classifications. Yeah. Um, that it shows how close food is. Absolutely. Rather than disparate. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, uh, for I mean, panzanella, for example, an Italian bread salad, there's Tunisian bread salad. And that's like, it's lost cousin. And, and I, I love it. You know, it's the same general principle. And who doesn't want to eat bread in a salad? Yeah. So. What's in the Tanzanian? I mean, in the Tunisian? Uh, Tunisian, yeah. And they have like olives and eggplant, yeah. um, tomatoes, uh, different types of cheeses they'll use in there. Um, more of like a fresh cheese. It can be, I mean, egg, eggs. Yeah. Hard boiled eggs. It's a, um, it's a really close sort of cousin. <laughs> yeah, but what's so cool? Um, you have a web series. You have a website, Exotic Table. Is that the actual URL? Actually, it's my my name, Aliyalikong. Um, Exotic Table is a series. A couple recipes on there show that blending, and one of them actually uh, Tunisian spice harissa. Yes, uh, those fried olives that you have. That, oh yeah, uh, I yeah. was just drooling thinking about them but it's taking your classic fried olive which is uh, of italian descent right um and then putting in a north african you know spin on yeah. it yeah yeah no and because I, I had stuffed olives uh in north africa and so it was just kind of a natural segue for me to you know coming from florida to just deep fry them <laughs> yeah, yeah and then it just made sense with the whole italian backgrounds yeah well let's jump right into you know the exotic table stuff because what's so cool too is not only are you traveling around the world you do tandoori in turkey um <laughs> which was I, that actually blew my mind yeah. i had no idea that they cooked in a tandoor in turkey i mean that was just fascinating to me yeah and and a tova which is you know if, when i talk about janoon we have different elements of cooking in it and tandoor is one and tawa is another one and tawa is more like a flat top but it's a it's a it's like a, a bowl that's a, a flat cast iron bowl that you cook in and they flip it over and they make their breads in turkey on it yeah i, I was floored that was a discovery for me yeah i mean but you also experience stuff so close to you know new york or still in new york like oh, yeah. staten island the video of uh the grandmother <laughs> she met out there amazing. what was that restaurant called <laughs> Uh, it was called Enoteca Maria. Yeah. 
And uh, the whole premise was just uh, so powerful and was the reason that I, I went to go check it out is, you know, he, the owner basically said the cooking of Italy is done by grandmas. So why not bring in grandmas from every region <laughs> yeah. of Italy to cook what she wants to cook on that night? And the menu is hers. She makes it up. So they have many chefs de cuisine there. Yeah. Um, and they're all grandmas. And But what was so cool is that she made what? Uh, porcini and cream with pappardelle recipe. Yes. So, a, you know, pasta that you then put your spin onto it and added on... Um, the West Indie influence of yeah. your husband's by making... Macaroni pie. What is macaroni oh, pie? It's baked mac and cheese. Okay, But plus, they have yes. onions and habanero chilies, some thyme, fresh cilantro, which they call shadow benny in, in Trinidad. Um, and, and they bake it with cheese, and it's just amazing. And you just can scoop it out. Yeah. And so I, I took that, and I, I, I flipped the porcini dish to just make it even more... Rich, basically, and got a little heat. <laughs> yeah, gives you some sweats. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it was a pretty fun dish to make. Yeah, but how many grandmas were in that kitchen? I'm not 100 percent sure of the number. Yeah. I think there was about nine or ten that rotate. Yeah, you know, on their days <laughs> off from babysitting their their kids' kids. It sounds like uh, who is it? Progresso Soup has these commercials right now where it's supposed to be like grandmothers are making the soup, right. but there's actually grandmothers but making. Really yeah, are. yeah. So I'm, I'm going to have to make my first actual trip other than just the ferry back and forth to Staten Island to no, you should, go you check should. out real Nona it. style food. Yeah. Um, again, your spin on things, it, it's kind of a non-obvious, but then it just all makes sense. Uh, a popcorn that you oh, recently yeah. made. <laughs> yeah. I um, A few years ago, I had a girlfriend from Hawaii who came back one time from visiting her family and she brought me this popcorn that had, it was sort of a prefab pack and it had this like butter sauce that you poured on it and furikake, which is Japanese seasoning, um, that has roasted seaweed in it, bonito, sesame seeds. Sometimes it has shizo leaf or powdered egg. It it can be kind of a a plethora of things. But um, I ate that until I was literally sick. Yeah. And then I forgot about it for years. And recently I was talking to a friend and, and I remembered it. And she does her own homemade popcorn. And I said, why not? So that was the uh, flashback that yeah. made me go out and make it. But so. furikake is cool because it's it, it adds that sweet and salty. Yes. Like kettle like corn. Like kettle corn. Yeah. Exactly. And just putting that on popcorn, I'm like, duh. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm like, that Aaliyah, she beat me to it yet again. <laughs> but I'm totally going home and doing that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good. I want to hear what you think. Yeah. Plus I have... Oh, no, I just gave it away. Um, this stupid little device called the Slicky N, which is, is a sesame seed dehuller. Oh, my goodness. I'm one of few people that gets drunk and goes to Cerro Top and buys stuff. <laughs> and that's what I came hum- I home with one time. Yeah. I think we could do that together. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was like an ingenious, and popcorn is a big hit at my house. Um, oh, yeah. My girlfriend's possible favorite food. And it's healthy fiber. It? Yeah. Relatively. Yeah, relatively. <laughs> well, if you put things like furikake on top of it. With butter. Yeah. Okay, butter makes it better. <laughs> Butter's fine. I'm not complaining. But spice blends you have on your site too. Bizarre. Yes. Um, that was actually, uh, that was really interesting. I, I had had this conversation with a woman going back and forth in Abu Dhabi. We had just started chatting and, and really just chatting about food. And, and I was learning more about Emirati cuisine. And, um, and we're... What is Emirati? It's U UAE. UAE. Yeah. United Arab Emirates. And so Dubai and right outside Dubai, Abu Dhabi. And that's where she lives. And she kept telling me about it and saying, I have to come out there and cook. 
And finally she just said, you know, I have a friend coming. I'm going to send you some spices. And it was, it's amazing. I mean, the spice blend was phenomenal. There's turmeric, there's fenugreek, and it's really her grandma's recipe. So I got her grandma's secret recipe that obviously is not getting shared with anybody. (laughs) (laughs) And her aunts now gather to make it. And, and she gets her stash. Yeah. So it's, it was, and, and surprisingly enough, I, I mean, when she sent this to me, the next month, Savor did something on Bazaar, and I was like, wow, you know, it's, yeah. it's great to see it come full circle and people are really getting fascinated. And what do you use it for or on? Well, you actually have a recipe on the website. With, I haven't used a, I haven't created a recipe with yeah. Bazaar yet, but um, a lot of times it's used in rice dishes yeah. um, and in their stews. So that that's generally how they use, and they also use it as like a coating with with flour. I think for fried fish, which is sounds pretty good actually. Yeah, it does not sound too bad. <laughs> so okay, now that we got the foundation, now that everyone knows you're the real deal, um, <laughs> you're working at Janoon. Yes. Um, which I'll let you explain because it is a very fusiony restaurant of you know South Asian flavors. Um, what do you do there? What kind of restaurant is it? Yeah, it's so Janoon is oat Indian cuisine. And stays relatively true to tradition. I mean, you have the whole premise is to use different elements of cooking in India. So India is beyond curries. There's also the grill. There's the tandoor. There's the tava, as I was mentioning before. And there's the hot stone. And so what we do is we have a menu that sort of spans different parts of India using the different elements of, of cooking. And by elements, you mean like surfaces, actual yeah, surfaces. Yeah, cooking surfaces. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's interesting because it requires... A lot of different technique, um, you know, in terms of the curry items, the handi items, they have to be simmered for hours. The tandoor items, they have to have marinades that really sort of penetrate in terms of flavor and tenderize. Um, You know, the hot stone, you really want the ingredients to speak through. So, um, you know, it requires finesse from each different cook that we have. Um, And a lot of them have worked in India for many years and come here and are now working and are, you know amazingly trained in, in that element. Yeah. So your job is kind of harness those collective powers. Yeah. You know, I think um, it's a unique thing that we're doing in the sense of at Janoon, we're not only cooking Indian cuisine, but we're trying to address seasonality, which is an inherent part of Indian cuisine. That's just not really addressed here as yeah. much. I mean, there you're eating squash blossoms that are fried yeah. as pakoras or, you know, you're, you're doing those kinds of things and people just don't see that here. Right as here much. It's sag paneer all year long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so we try to bring in seasonal elements. Um, you know, we focus on really incredible high quality ingredients and, um, and proteins, farm-raised, wherever possible, organic, kosher, halal, whatever the case may be. Um, And, you know, I think what's interesting is that when you have those ingredients, you need those to speak through and not be totally overwhelmed by spices. And I think that's sort of where I come in as well. Um, You know, my palate is Western. It's Eastern and Western. And, you know, I believe in using high-quality ingredients and letting those speak through and and farmer's market shopping and... um, you know, so my role, it's kind of a, I call myself culinary creative director, but it's, uh, it's required for a place that has sort of a new vision like this to have someone sort of outside the purview of the traditional roles in the kitchen. Yeah. So I'm part cooking, part looking at the whole broad spectrum of what we're doing in terms of drinks, desserts. We have artisanal cocktails. We have a whole, um, seasonal menu there too. And, uh, and just seeing that we are incorporating, you know, different, 
different ingredients and, and addressing it and still staying true to Indian tradition at the same yeah. time. Well, I mean, it's curatorial. And then after having recently seen uh, images of the spice room yeah. that you have, um, where's it's downstairs. Yeah, we have a, in yeah. the, in the, on the bottom floor, which is also where we have our whole, all our prep facilities. Um, we have this amazing spice room and we hand blend all of our spices there, you know, and, uh, on a daily basis, the different blends that are used in the, in the marinades or the curries or how yeah. we're using And them. there are Metro shelves just lining the wall. There's actually, you know, a glass window into the spice room. So, yeah. um, you know, visitors, customers can actually see it, see yeah. it, which yeah, is, which absolutely. is kind of cool. And we have some of the old school apparatus that they use in India to, I mean, you know, we use our little coffee grinder blenders, Generally speaking, yeah. but but we do show the the apparatus that people use in in India to grind, which is which is pretty cool because yeah. they have different different modes of of grinding and to create different textures in, in the uh, in the spice blends. So that's pretty cool. And this is something that will ever have a public class. Um, I think so. Yeah, we're talking about it. Yeah, that, we're, we're doing a, a degustivist cooking school class, and so I'm we're debating building that in as well. Yeah, so I think. Maybe we'll make it something because more Because it's kind of like a modern-day kid at a candy store. You press your face up against that window and see yes. all those spices, and you just want to have them in your hand and play with them. And Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, I, there was such a cute little girl that came the other day, and she was totally thrilled. I gave her some star anise, and she just kind of walked around with the star anise <laughs> in the restaurant. She was quite yeah. happy with it. I, the star anise is particularly a good-looking it's spice, the, yeah. too. Yeah. I figure that's the one to, to please. Uh, as an earring, maybe that, maybe like uh, long peppers or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, pepper yeah. She should do a whole line of <laughs> spice jewelry because it's, it's utilitarian, too, if you're ever in a pinch for a little warming spice. <laughs> That's fantastic. Favorite spices, places to get in New York. Okay. Favorite spices. Black cardamom is one of my favorite spices. Um, What do you do with it? I have a bag and it just sits there smelling smoky in my pantry. Oh my God. So you grind it with the pod. Yeah. And then you sieve it. And you can use that. It has a lot less of that menthol quality that green cardam has and more of a smokiness. So it goes in my lamb burgers. So we actually have a lamb burger on the, on the lunch menu that I made that has black cardamom as the main, one of the main spices in it. Yeah. And that's beautiful with black pepper or, or that sort of thing with meats. That's how I like to use it as a rub, generally speaking. Yeah. And you can get that at places like Calusians. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm a big Calusians fan. Yeah. How can't you be? It's, I know. It's, <laughs> you know, there's so many, there's a lot of other places around there and they have great, prices and 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 if you're getting some of the more standard spices but if you really want something different or a blend for example like ethiopian bebere they have it yeah which you're not going to always find at all the other places so um that's why i end up just going back there time and time again yeah and they have stuff like from my childhood that i drank you know growing up when i used to visit my family overseas like this syrup that you pour into milk milk to make kids drink it and uh, you know they'll have stuff like that or that's rose and screw pine flavor yeah they just have some really interesting do you still like that stuff i do yeah how can you not like that it's like quick it's like strawberry quick do you ever not like it i don't know if i ever really liked it as a child but yeah i see all those things i'm like oh i'm gonna gonna taste and uh, you said screw pine right yes screw pine i had recently tasted that and like Mm, no, yeah. not really for me. If you and I like mastic and that kind of stuff, mastic is yeah, yeah definitely a, an acquired taste. If you don't grow up with it, I think it can be kind of difficult. Yeah, but orange blossom's gone mainstream. Yeah, everyone seems to really take to that. 
Yeah, what other things did you grow up with that you see coming into the mainstream? Oh, um, you know, I would just say the different spices that I, that were just sort of in my kitchen are now everywhere. And I think, you know, you go into Whole Foods and you can find, you can see whole, I was in Whole Foods the other day and I saw fresh turmeric, which is just phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't seen that outside of an Indian grocery store ever before. Or I was in Dean and DeLuca and I saw fresh kaffir limes. A lot of the fresh ingredients. Like, I, I, I've been really surprised by those types of things. Yeah. But do people know how to use them? <laughs> That's a different story. I, I wonder how many <laughs> turmerics get destroyed. I know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Um, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, uh, I, I think that's. I think it, it, it promotes experimentation, at least. You know, the fact that they're there. Yeah, well, I think the exotic table is going to be a good reference point for a lot of people too. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. yeah. And if you haven't checked out Alia Lekong, A L I Y A. Yep. L E E K O N G. Yep. Feel like I want a spelling bee. <laughs> Check it out. But you got it right. Which yeah, is, which is amazing. Yeah, I didn't hear the buzzer go off like I was incorrect. <laughs> so it's glad to have. Or stop by Janoon and uh, yeah, for sure. Check out the wonderful blends and ideas that are happening in that kitchen. Thank you so much for being on. And yeah, thank you. For really excited uh, about trying that popcorn and seeing what new recipes you have on the site soon. Thanks so much. Excellent. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Host Michael Harlan Turkel, hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.